Listeners, we want to tell you about a Reformed Baptist publishing company, Free Grace Press. Free Grace Press is firmly committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ and biblical truth as expressed by the historic Reformed confessions, such as the 1689 London Baptist Confession. They seek to propagate books and tracts that are spiritually inspirational, doctrinally educational, and practically helpful for the Church of God. We want to encourage you to support this ministry by purchasing their products. So you can learn more about them at freegracepress.com. Again, that is Free Grace Press. The Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here, and I have the privilege to interview my co-host, Austin McCormick, on the subject of Richard Baxter, and, and then a little bit of a comparison and contrast between Baxter's view of justification and Benjamin Keach's view of justification. And one reason Austin is is worthy of being interviewed for such a subject is that we took a class together on Benjamin Keach at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, and for his paper, he wrote on this subject. So we'll see if he knows anything about it. So to start us off, Austin McCormick, um, who is Richard Baxter? Well, thank you for that introduction, uh, Jimmy. Yes, I'd like to answer your question by giving you a just brief sketch of Richard Baxter. Uh, Richard Baxter was born in Roughton, Shropshire, England, on November 12th of 1615 to Richard Baxter Sr. and Beatrice Baxter. His father was a freeholder and possessed a decent amount of property. I didn't know what a freeholder was. The definition of freehold is permanent and absolute tenure of land or property with the freedom to dispose of it at will. So he had a decent amount of land. And although he was uh, well set with this property, he had a season in his youth where he squandered many of his possessions because of gaming addictions. And around this time, Richard Baxter Sr. would have a son, Richard Baxter Jr., and this is whenever his life would begin to change. Uh, Richard Baxter Sr. would start to read the scriptures to his family, and eventually he became an Anglican. And to his father's instructions and example, young Richard was indebted for his first religious convictions. So although at this time um, his father was reading him the Bible, Richard Baxter Jr. was not yet converted as a young child, but he began to learn about what the Bible taught about uh, the sinful condition of humans. Then around age 15, Baxter's childhood religious convictions were revived. Uh, according to William Orms, this is what he writes in the practical works of Richard Baxter. Previously to this, he had never experienced any real change of heart, though he had a sort of general love for religion, but it pleased God to awaken his soul to show him the folly of sinning, the misery of the wicked, and the inexpressible importance of eternal things. His convictions were not now attended with illumination of mind and deep seriousness of heart. 
And before I continue, um, I just want to say that I had a very difficult time finding anything about Baxter's conversion in my personal study. I, I spent multiple days just reading through books, trying to find stuff about his conversion experience. And this was one of the only paragraphs I could find. So this is what I found from William Orms. But uh, to continue uh, our sketch on Baxter, while he was growing up, Baxter attended the Rocksetter Grammar School under the renowned John Owen. Uh, then later, instead of pursuing a formal education at a university, uh, he continued his learning through private studies. So he did not have former formal theological training. Then finally, then later in life at around 23 years of age in 1638, Baxter was ordained as a clergy in the Anglican church at Worcester. Uh, he would later accept the role of headmaster, which gave him opportunities to preach without having to do other pastoral responsibilities. And then uh, the church then that came to take him to be their minister for quite some time that he's uh, well known to be associated with was uh, the church at Kidminster, England. So on March 9th of 1640, the committee of the church at Kidminster, England invited Baxter be to become their lecturer. And then Baxter accepted this invitation in 1640. And then uh, for almost 20 years, Baxter ministered to the small church in Kidminster, England. But he had a little bit of an interruption while he was there. In 1642, the English Civil War began. So after around two years at Kidminster, Baxter left his pastoral position to become a chaplain in the army. And while he was in the army, he would preach once a week to the people on the Lord's Day. And during this time, Baxter found that many of the soldiers were living lawlessly, open, rebellious lives because of their wrong antinomian understanding of the scriptures. Antinomian meaning anti law. So his disputes with the antinomian soldiers would lead him to write the aphorisms of justification. We're going to give more consideration to this later in the podcast. But near the end of his chaplaincy, uh, Baxter would become sick. And upon his recovery, he would return back to Kidminster to minister to that church for around 14 more years. So that's where uh, he spent the majority of his ministry time. Uh, like many during the 17th century, the political actions of England brought persecution upon Baxter. In 1662, the Act of Uniformity was declared, and the persecution of dissenters began. Ministers in England were required by law to be ordained by a bishop and to confess the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, so the Act of Uni Uniformity effectively removed Baxter from his church that he was ministering in, and he never re-entered the pastorate. And so after his pastoral ministry, this is one of the oddest things I think about Baxter and my study of him. He married one of his converts, Margaret Charleston, on September 10th of 1662 in the Bennett Fink Church of London. This marriage was controversial, though, because of the difference in age between Richard Baxter, and Margaret. If my counting in the years is correct, he was 46 years old and she was in her early 20s. 
Um, their marriage, although it had some controversy around it, it lasted for 29 years until he would die on December 8th of 1691 at the age of 76 years old. So in the this later part of his life where he wasn't in pastoral ministry, Baxter occasionally preached, but he devoted the majority of his time to writing. Some of his most well-known works are The Reformed Pastor, The Saints' Everlasting Rest, and as I mentioned earlier, we'll give attention to his aphorisms of justification. Austin, what was Baxter's doctrine of justification? You you had mentioned that we would talk about it later, and now now is the time. So what was his doctrine of justification as he responded to the antinomianism that he saw in the soldiers? Yeah. Um, well, as we look at Richard Baxter's doctrine of justification, um, this has a controversy around it, a major theological dispute, which some call the Baxterian controversy, and it uh, is a controversy because of Baxter's understanding of the law of God and how one is justified before God. Um, Richard Baxter developed his doctrine of justification from his understanding of the conditional new covenant, which he argued God offered to all humanity. So that is going to be foundational for understanding Baxter's doctrine of justification. This conditional new covenant was called neonomianism or new lawism uh, by those that were involved in this controversy. So Baxter would argue, as we'll mention more in depth in just a second, that God had purchased a new law with relaxed requirements that the, the sinner was able to um, try to keep by sincere obedience or by a sincere effort of trying to keep this new law. And that would ultimately be how one would become justified. And this new law is offered to everybody. So uh, we can see that this teaching of justification is not the Reformed doctrine of justification. It's not an orthodox doctrine of justification. Baxter himself rejected this orthodox Reformed doctrine of justification at multiple points. First, which is a major problem, I think, in Baxter's doctrine of justification, he denied that a sinner was justified by the imputation of the active obedience of Christ. Might be worth saying again. He denied that a sinner was justified by the imputation of the active obedience of Christ. In his 16th thesis of the aphorisms of justification, he explains that Christ's active obedience cannot be imputed to the believer as the grounds for their justification. And this is what he writes. The great question is of which sort of righteousness whereby we are justified. The first kind of righteousness meaning active obedience, as it is in Christ, cannot retaining its own form be made ours. And to that, the papists' arguments will hold good. The law commanded our own personal obedience and not another's for us. So concerning... Um, the rejection of the active obedience of Christ, 
As the grounds of justification, Baxter says the papists' arguments will hold good, and he denies the orthodox reform doctrine of justification. Um, another, or another problem with Baxter's justification is that he taught that justification is not by faith alone. I mentioned this in passing, but justification, according to Baxter, is by holy living or sincere obedience plus faith. So he taught that a sinner could be justified by sincerely trying to obey this new law. Um, he argued that Christ's work in the crucifixion and resurrection served to purchase a new covenant, as I mentioned, with relaxed requirements, focusing not on the perfect obedience as established by the original covenant of nature, but rather on sincerely only of our faith and obedience. This is a problem because it's essentially a form of a works-based salvation. In his 72nd thesis in his aphorisms, he writes, As the accepting of Christ for Lord is an essential part of justifying faith, as the accepting of him for our Savior, so consequently, sincere obedience hath as much to do in justifying us before God. So he sees those two things as being necessary for justification. When Baxter references sincere obedience as the grounds of justification, he means sincerely trying to obey a new law. Um, thirdly, Baxter taught that a Christian's obedience is necessary to remain justified. This is another problem. So according to this view, one can lose their justification before God, although he was previously justified. So he can essentially become unjustified. He writes in his 44th thesis, men that are but thus conditionally pardoned and justified may be unpardoned and unjustified again for their non-performance of the conditions and all the debts so forgiven be required at their hands and all of this without any change of God or his law. And he says in the next thesis, their justification doth continue conditional as long as they live here. If they cease to be believers, they would cease to be justified. So in, in Baxter's mind, if someone renounces the Christian faith or denies uh, that they believe in God later in life. It wasn't that they apostatized. It was that they actually were declared justified and then lost that state of justification before God. So again, another problem. And then fourthly, Baxter taught that there are two major verdicts of justification. So just, justification can be split in two ways. The first verdict of justification is when you first believe and the second verdict of justification is the final justification on the last day. And he shows this in Thesis 41 of the Aphorisms. He writes, The former acts called justification do not fully and in all respects procure our freedom so they may be laid to imperfect and but degrees toward our full and perfect justification at the last judgment. There he clearly distinguishes the two. In Thesis 59, he writes, Justification 
is not a momentous act begun and ended immediately upon our believing, but a continued act till the final justification at the judgment day. Then Thesis 80 indicates, as he writes, our actual most proper complete justification at that great judgment will be according to our works. So we see the problem once again of Baxter and justification here specifically splitting it into two verdicts. And for him, the more important verdict is the last day verdict. So to summarize the problems that uh, we have with Baxter's doctrine of justification is that he rejected that the active obedience of Christ is the grounds for our justification. He denied that justification was by faith alone, but rather by our sincere obedience to a new law plus faith. Baxter taught that a believer could lose their justification by disobeying the condition of new law obedience, and he furthermore divides justification into two verdicts, the first in time and the second on the last day. So, Jimmy, do you have any thoughts concerning what we've talked about uh, with Baxter's doctrine of justification? Yeah, it it would seem that that Baxter not only differs in respect to making works a ground for our justification, but he also makes like our personal faith a ground, whereas the classical reformed faith is the instrument by which we receive the the active and or the benefits of the active and passive obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just to define those those terms, the active obedience of Christ is God or Jesus's active obedience to God's law throughout his life. It is his active righteousness throughout life, um, his earthly life and ministry, whereas the passive obedience is his taking upon um, the wrath of God in the stead of his people. Um, So Baxter, I mean, for lack of a better terminology, at least from a confessional and and a classical reformed understanding of of justification is is a mess i mean and we'll get into that and how a particular baptist who we admire responded to that and had some colorful ways of describing baxter's views but in in short baxter is not very different from the catholicism that the protestant reformers combated really came out of and 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 rather they they rejected as they went back to the scriptures themselves and and discovered that justification our being declared righteous is grounded upon Jesus and Jesus alone so with that said though what let's go and transition um we're going to talk about Benjamin Keach and his response to Baxter and Baxterianism, because Baxter did garner kind of a, a large following, um, maybe not a huge following, but large enough to where where Benjamin Keach and many others felt the need to respond. I'm, I'm quite certain that John Owen actually wrote in response to, to Baxter, too. So his, his doctrines were fairly widespread and would continue to be even after his life. So with that said, 
We're not going to get into Baxter or Keech's life because we've already talked about it before in a previous episode. So just kick us off. What was Keech's response to to Baxter and Baxter's beliefs as it pertains to justification? Yeah. Um, so the, the title of the paper I wrote is Popery in a New Dress. And the reason I titled it this is because this is what Keech says in his sermon titled the morrow of true justification. I cannot see but that the doctrine some men strive to promote is but little better than popery in a new dress. So Keech is concerned about Christians who err on this important doctrine, and he was staunchly opposed to the, te- to the teaching that sincere obedience or any type of works plus faith equals justification. He thought that this was a teaching that reverted back to Roman Catholicism, as you mentioned, popery in a new dress. And if my word count is correct, uh, Benjamin Keach references Mr. Baxter six times in his sermon titled The Morrow of True Justification. But uh, let us Uh, Continue to look at the sermon. In 1692, his sermon was published, and the passage for the message was Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So Keech begins this message by presenting seven reasons to preach the doctrine of justification. And after presenting these seven reasons, Keach gives the scope and the coherence of the text itself, so very um, common to his structure style of a sermon. In his exposition of Romans 4, 5, we see key doctrines that Keach affirmed that begins to separate him from Richard Baxter's doctrine of justification and the doctrines that Keach says is popery, papacy. So whereas Baxter taught that justification is by sincere obedience and faith, Keech would teach that justification was not by our works, but by faith in Christ alone. So he focuses on the phrase from Romans 4, 5, to him that worketh not. Keech explains that faith doesn't justify as an act. I think you mentioned this. Uh, or as a process of holy living, he writes the following, Though he may work, i.e. lead a holy life, yet he doth it not to merit thereby, nay, though he be wicked and an ungodly person, and so worketh not, or have no moral righteousness at all, yet If he believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted or imputed for righteousness, not as a simple act or as it is a quality or habit in us. So we see the distinction. Baxter believes in sincere obedience plus faith equals justification. Keech is teaching that justification is by faith alone. Whereas Baxter would deny the orthodox uh, reformed doctrine of justification by faith alone, Keech affirms that faith alone is the instrument, I think you specifically said that, as the sinner's justification. So this is what Keech would write about 
faith being the instrument later in this sermon. He says, faith is a hand to take hold of or to receive or to apply Christ and his righteousness. And then, um, although this isn't in his sermon, in the confession of faith that Keach would write to his congregation in 1697, he wrote, we do believe justification is a free act of God's grace, which is received by faith alone. So we begin to see some distinguishing between these two men. Um, Baxter understood that justification as uh, sincere obedience to the new law, which he would believe God offered to all humanity. So anyone that tried to obey this new law could be justified. But for Keats, justification was a judicial term, and it signified to acquit from guilt or accepting a man as righteous, or to pronounce him just and righteous, not the making of a person inherently righteous, so he's distinguishing from papacy, but to count or to impute righteousness to the one who's being justified. So in Baxter's Baxter's understanding of justification, anyone who tried to become justified could be justified because God is offering this through the merits of the new law to anyone who tries. But for Keach, only the elect of God are justified. Keach abhorred the idea that Christ's work only rendered God reconcilable and not actually reconciled, as Jonathan Arnold writes in the Reformed Theology of Benjamin Keach. So for Baxter... Anyone can be justified if they try. For Keach, the elect of God will be justified through faith alone. Whereas Baxter rejects the imputation of Christ's active obedience as the grounds of our justification, Keach would affirm that justification is entirely by the imputation of Christ's righteousness by faith. So both his active and his passive obedience. This is clear when he writes in the morrow of true justification, nothing renders a man righteous to justification in God's sight, but the imputation of the perfect personal righteousness of Christ received only by the faith of the operation of God. And then so Keach would also write in his uh, articles of faith to the church at Horsley Down, We do believe justification is a free act of God's grace through the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, Christ and his active and passive obedience only apprehended by faith. And then um, in a separate sermon in 1692, Keach preaches his sermon titled Justification Without Works. Um, Baxter, although... He was mentioned six times in the Morrow of True Justification. He's not mentioned by name in this sermon, but it's clear that Keach is separating himself from the teachings of Richard Baxter in this message. And as previously mentioned, Baxter taught that a sinner is justified by sincere obedience to the new law and faith. And this sermon title is directly Justification Without Works. And Keach's major point in this sermon is that all works that are done by the creature are quite excluded in point of justification of a sinner in the sight of God. So I won't give the 
11 fold response. The, the listener can read this message for themselves, but Keach gives an 11 fold response of why a sinner cannot be justified by their sincere obedience. And again, as he, as Baxter's not mentioned in this sermon, I think he does a very well job of refuting Baxterianism and um, the controversy that arose because of Baxter's understanding of the law of God and uh, Baxter's understanding of the doctrine of justification. Amen. And and really just to tally on that, I, I want to read a portion from the 1689 Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 11, paragraph 3. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those who are justified and did by the sacrifice of himself and the blood of his cross undergo in their stead the penalty due to them, make a proper, real, and full satisfaction of God's justice in their behalf. Yet inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, both and both freely and not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. Uh, our justification, our, our righteousness, our entry into heaven and, and, and enjoyment of eternal life and communion with God, um, as well as the, the full pardon of our sins, is grounded in Christ and Christ alone. And, and I, I think that is a doctrine that we 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 can't um, play around with and and mess with as as I believe that that Baxter did and 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 I think Baxter made a grave error in in his teachings on justification and really he he went a route that was not necessary in response to antinomianism because we are not antinomian either and nor was Keach or or really anyone who was classically reformed would, would not be antinomian. Um, however, Baxter essentially wanted to scare people into heaven um, is, is, is kind of what it, it seemed to be. He wanted to scare people in, into heaven um, through obedience, through their own obedience. But if you look to anything other than Christ, including your own works, including your own sanctification, then, then you will find those things to be inadequate for justification. No matter how good you are, no matter how sincere it is, it, it, it is not sufficient. It is only the active and passive obedience of Christ imputed to you that, that gives you hope in life and in death, as well as motivation for obedience to the law, which Baxter so so desired those soldiers to do. And, and I'm not saying that we can't read Baxter with any value or he has nothing valuable to say. However, I think that with his views of justification, we have to bring everything that he wrote under scrutiny, even his most popular book, The Reformed Pastor. It has to be read understanding that, that Baxter genuinely believed that it was through sincere obedience that one is made right with God. And therefore, when you read the Reformed Pastor with that in mind, certain things will likely jump out at you, and some of them will be wrong. Um, and, and I say 
read read everyone critically, but especially if you do read Baxter, read Baxter with a critical eye, understanding that he made a grave error on justification and and it was poppery in a new dress, as Benjamin Keach said. Do you do you have any concluding thoughts or applications that you would like to add, Austin? Um, one of the reasons why we are doing this podcast is I didn't know all of this about Baxter. And we, I think you can be really tempted to just read some of the popular works of, of people that are recommended, published widely. Um, I even remember asking Jimmy a couple of years ago now uh, what his thoughts about Baxter were because when I upgraded my Logos package, uh, I had got the complete works of Richard Baxter. And he told me, be careful and read with scrutiny. So I guess... That is one encouragement that we want to give to you is uh, read with scrutiny. Uh, Another application that I think is worthy of making is the importance of formal theological education. Um, Baxter was self-taught and taught himself wrong on this important doctrine. We have been talking about Richard Baxter and his doctrine of justification and also We have talked about how Benjamin Keach responded to him. I I hope this episode has been informative as well as enjoyable by you. And and we we pray that that all our resources do. And we just want to wish you a Merry Christmas as well as a Happy New Year, even though you'll likely listen to another episode before the New Year. But we want to wish you a Merry Christmas. And, And we want to charge you to trust in Christ and Christ alone for your justification grace, and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you.